0: Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 Sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway Timberliving.ie Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 Sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins Quality, cosy log cabins at affordable prices Timberliving.ie
1: Good morning, you're very welcome to the show. Uh so before we meet our panel, let's have a look at some of the front pages. Uh the Sunday Independent is leading with Former GA star hits Dennis O'Brien for money, and the Sunday World has more coverage of that uh, former GA star story. And the Sunday Times is leading with golden visas ditched over fraud fears. So this was a this was a scheme whereby uh, people who invested in Ireland could get a visa here, and it was pulled very suddenly during the week. And now. Um, we're learning a lot more about uh, maybe the, the not ideal way that it was working sometimes. Uh, the business post housing crisis risks economic growth, uh, warns business leader, and that's the boss of Grant Thornton, um, Michael McAteer, He says a third of job offers are being turned down due to lack of accommodation. The top 10 accountancy firms are struggling to attract attract staff in Dublin too because of high rents. Uh, They also have at the bottom of their front page on the Business Post that the Ladies Gaelic Football Association will appoint legal and medical experts to assess applications from transgender women who want to play the sport, according to a policy document uh, released last week. The document says the LGFA is committed to the inclusion of trans women. The Irish Mail on Sunday uh, has another kind of health whistleblower story. Age limit on mental health medicines is illegal. So the state denies free drug scheme to patients once they become 16 um, with mental illnesses. And it's another one of these kind of um, quirks in 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 old law that is kind of coming to light now. Um, the Irish Sun on Sunday has... Uh, a front page story with Annette uh, Kinahan and she lost her son John 31 8 months after he became a, a dad and she, uh, she she says that uh, um, he died from a heroin overdose she says to the Kinahan cartel my son's blood is on your hands and the uh, English papers obviously may maybe of interest to us this weekend Uh Johnson that man is back threatens Sunak's bid to end deadlock over Brexit is the front of the Observer and the Sunday Telegraph Johnson's warning to Sunak on Northern Ireland deal. Okay. Our panel today Kira Phelan is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner, Lorraine Sweeney is a businesswoman and hotelier, Gary Murphy is professor of politics at DCU's School of Law and Carl Dieter is director of Irish Mortgage Brokers. Good morning everyone. Morning.
2: Morning.
1: Kira, would you just in terms of the the news that is most relevant to people maybe in their day to day lives in their pockets mm-hmm. is um, what are people getting on, on cost of living measures next week? What do you know at the moment?
0: Yeah, so speaking to a senior government source um, last night. It's very much that they're warning that it's not going to be a massive package that was given at this time last year. Um, It will be targeted. It will focus on pensioners, um, those on low incomes. uh, So that we're talking about, we'll say uh, a social welfare payment.
1: So will they be doubled social welfare payments? Likely
0: to be. Well, what we'd support is a bonus or a doubling of the payment, monthly payment. Um, There is going to be uh, there's been a, a change and a shift in mood on the energy credit. It's it's uh, also reported on the front of the Sin- Sunday Business Post today. So essentially, the coalition figures think that um, there may be a need to hold off on the energy credit until later in the year. So we are due another energy credit in March and April, which has already been announced. Yeah. However, the consensus is now that they would like to wait to give this energy credit if it is required in the winter months. And the reason being is because they are hoping that energy bills will fall later in the year, given what we have seen uh, with the drop in uh, wholesale gas prices.
1: Um, Am am I noticing that some uh, people in the government are feeling a bit ratty about Mm -hmm. this at this stage. Like they're saying things like you haven't even got all the other energy credits yet and no people are looking for more and they've been kind of, you know, there's been all that dampening down of expectations.
0: Yeah, there's definitely frustration there. Um, One senior figure that I spoke to late in the week was quite frustrated that the government were nearly being bounced into doing something here, albeit they said that they do realise that there needs to be targeted measures, that there are people struggling, uh, but not so much, we'll say, other households. Uh, so that's the argument that we've been having for a couple of months. Are we giving money to people that maybe do not need it as much? Perhaps maybe the reason why there's been a shift to push back on the energy credit. If you look at um, figures that were recently released to myself, um, from the Department of Social Protection. So additional needs payments are payments given uh, to households that apply through their community social welfare. And €60 million euro was paid out in 2022. That uh, covered over a 1,000 applicants. And that's an additional €17 million euro in comparison to 2021. So these uh, it covers essentially um, clothing, um, housing needs, so rent, mortgage payments, general bills, um, housing, the, the cost of it was absolutely so massive. Who are in real yeah, extreme. People can, can go to the yeah. community
1: welfare office yeah. and basically say, I need. I and need,
0: this is on top of social, oh yeah. uh, social welfare payments, like yeah. 35.4 million paid out to mortgage and rent, uh, clothing, 5.7 million, 7.5 million on general expenses. So it's an indication that there is not that disposable income there to meet the yeah. inflated. Yeah, but that, costs. that
1: is highly targeted, though. Yes. That's probably the most targeted measure there is. Carl, you uh, picked a piece in the business post, Great Expectations. How far will the government go on cost of living supports by Daniel Murray?
3: Yeah, so um, we're looking at uh, basically what level of support is going to be out there. And I think there is a massive gap between what is possible and what people might be expecting. They've We've grown accustomed to, you know, several hundred euro packages. The last one was uh, into the tune of 4 billion Uh, there actually isn't another £4 there to distribute. As a result of that, you have seen the likes of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council saying, look, the first ones, they targeted a lot of people who didn't need the money, but also those who did need it. And at this time around, we need to get more to the point of helping those who are most in need. Has everyone now developed
1: an expectation that any time the price of things goes up, that everybody gets
3: money from the government to tide them over? I think... Uh, I think that has been the case for a long time in terms of political conversations and political opposition calling for things that every time something goes wrong we need government expenditure, government response. I think within the realms of any government that that isn't the case or the belief because they're the ones who have to deal with the actual real budget in front of them and the constraints that that brings with it. Uh, Is it a risk that, that we become more prone to calling for that kind of thing? Uh, well, once you start doing it, well then yes it is and it can become very popular very fast and I think it gets back to the idea of good taxation and good expenditure that you've got to tax appropriately, spend appropriately and every time a price of something rises it doesn't mean that you have to pay for it uh, nor does it mean that you have to tax it either. So I mean there's, there's, it, it works on both sides.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it is all the same money, Gary. It's probably worth pointing out that if the government is handing out money to everybody, that's our money that we yeah, have to it's give
4: taxpayers' money. I suppose one could say. Well, government has obviously tax uh, revenues and uh, borrowing to um, to fund the uh, to fund the state. I had a right smile, uh, Brendan, when you mentioned that the government feels sort of bounced into this energy credit. Makira K- mentioned yeah, that. Well, yeah, bounced by who? Um, you know, like the government's job is is to lead and to, to set uh, the political agenda and to persuade people that what it's doing is uh, is right. So, but I suppose you, you would I you not say,
1: can... Gary, that the the possibly the media and possibly the opposition have been pushing very hard on this?
4: No, no, and you know, and certain, certainly when um, when energy bills came in in the uh, the post Christmas period and people saw their energy doubling in uh, in costs from uh, from this time last year uh, you can see the uh, the trauma that I can certainly visit to, to some people and that goes to Carl's point about uh, about targeting I mean if you look at the, there's a poll in today's Sunday Times government parties are doing reasonably well come, we well. we'll come back to the yeah, poll yeah. But, but, but the point is like that the, the, you know I think there's a, a certain expectation that or a certain belief I think that the government is doing reasonably well on a whole range of uh, uh, of things but uh, that when it comes to energy, something still needs to be done. I mean, the point during the week that you know, inflation had now dropped to 7.8%, I mean, that's an extraordinary amount still. Uh, in relation to inflationary figures over the course of the last decade since Fine Gael has been in power. so, yeah, I'm, But I am sceptical of this idea that government is being bounced into it by either the media or, or the opposition. I think government has a story to sell and it should do a better job of doing it. This is a piece by Stephen O'Burns in the Sunday Indo again making the same point about housing, that the government is doing quite a lot. Uh, but if you, lu- if you listen to uh, some commentators, uh, there's barely a house being built. Yeah, Kerry, you didn't like that Stephen no. O'Burn, story, did you?
0: Um I I I actually don't think that uh Daryl Bryan would take that advice. Um I think that if he was to sit at an effort style meeting that uh it wouldn't bode well for the government. I think that um in recent weeks we actually had um ad- ad- admittance from the Taoiseach that uh the government has not met its social housing targets. Uh, six and a half thousand har- tar- uh, homes were built. The target was 9,000 in the business post today.
1: I suppose Stephen O'Burns is making the point, though, that, like, he says, why don't we see any of the 30,000 people who got new homes last we- year? Mm. Like, may, maybe, OK, you can say the government didn't hit their targets, but Stephen O'Burns seemed to be suggesting that maybe if the government came out and got control of this narrative and said, we built 6,500 uh, uh, state houses last year isn't that fantastic that's the point he's making it's a question of perspective
0: but then if you speak to the people and ask them how hard it was for them to get there and the challenges that faced them on that path it would be a def- definitely different story. And if you take it in context about the homelessness figures uh, over, we're on the fifth consecutive month of a new target um, of of um, record homeless figures. Um, we have warnings from the head of yeah. we're,
1: we're We're jumping around here now. I want to keep some kind of
4: structure and things so we can keep this going for a while. Uh, so, but the, so idea style, it, sorry, the, idea, yeah. the idea of a, of a NEFA style briefing on housing seems to me spectacularly bonkers. Mm. Uh, simply in, in the idea of like. Oh, but bro- look, he's making but, the point but, that, but, oh, like. But the, but but hang, on, hang on. would you know co- His core point. But when, when it has a lot to be talking his about if co- co- it wanted to. Is, yeah, but that's his core point, isn't it? That the
1: government needs to get back the narrative. But and you're saying that you agree with him on that. Yeah, but I don't
4: agree with the idea of having weekly NEFA style meetings because you lose control of the narrative then and it becomes housing and housing. And the government has a huge Problem with housing because I think a lot of people have their minds made up as the next election looms closer and closer that the government has failed uh, on housing and no matter what statistics Sarah O'Brien or his civil servants could produce at these types of meetings I, I think that the narrative So you would, were saying they the cannot re, re, regain control of the narrative I think it's difficult okay. it's, no it's not that they can't recontrol or regain it but I, I don't think that's the solution to doing having these weekly type meetings but it's it's really important though that everybody understand that it you know a change of the guard or
3: anything else is not going to significantly change housing output. There is this growing belief that we failed at everything. We haven't. Brendan, I mean, I don't know if it was on this show, but it was only a few years ago we were talking about knocking down houses because we had so many. And look at the way that we plan, the way we build for the future. Look at look at the conversations around lots of new construction. We don't have a digital planning system. We don't have a fast planning system. My little brother in America can get permission to build a hundred apartments in a month. It'll take you three years before you even get the piece of paper that allows you to get started here. As a result, we do have problems. It's
1: because we have democracy around the planning okay. system and people have a, a, th- different.
3: to have their views known. There's different definitions of that, but I, what I would specifically hone in upon is this concept of third-party property rights, which is quite unique to Ireland. In other words, in other countries, if you own a piece of land, you can do what you want with it, and if you want to build as long as it fits with the, the planning law in that area, you have that right. In Ireland, you actually don't fully because we acknowledge now, the rights of right other affected thinking, parties. not right in thinking, in
1: fairness, that that is being tightened up a lot in the in the new planning the, law?
3: They're attempting to, but it keeps falling flat in its face because it falls back to to, to pre-existing methods. And then well, let's give it a chance. Apart. Let's give this
1: new legislation that's coming in a chance first, because certainly. But uh, that's a ten-year. And and Hashka
3: are very unhappy about
1: it, so that would suggest to me that that <laughs> that you you, you you the point you're making is being dealt with in it.
3: Well, no, because you, you still have this, like I said, you. You'll have a decade lag while it's challenged, while it's slowed down, while it starts to 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 find its way to to functional route. But the continuous meddling, for instance, whether it's good or bad, also causes a form of delay. So, like continuous housing, meddling by of 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 everything to do with housing, of of planning of land of the diff- different incentives that we put in place. So every single well, you year- call
1: that meddling, but the, 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 the that is a range of schemes that enable people in different situations to be able to um. To be able to tr- try and get a oh, I'm, I'm talking about
3: well, I'm talking about more like one day, ten floors is what you're allowed for. The next day, you go in for a ten-floor building, and the local people are saying no. The state is saying yes. I mean, the, the kind of high-level uh, policy interventions that confuse a situation and mean that people quite often have an existing planning, and then they cancel that one to go back in for the new one, which just came out last week, and those houses don't get built. There, there's a there's an extreme lack of policy stability. And, and, and what that results okay. in is success stories. Like last year was a success story in housing, and that success story is going untold for the very reasons that we've discussed here, which is you can't have a good day in housing. There you
1: go, you're reclaiming the, the narrative for the government there. Um, Lorraine, mm-hmm. your thoughts on all that?
2: Well, my thoughts on housing are that there are far too many regulations in, in the building industry. Regulations are extremely tight. Planning permission is next nigh impossible to get. Um, we, uh, have is, a, is it impossible? Though? It, it really is. Honestly, Brendan, we have a site um, on Bray Front that we made 10 applications for and we finally got permission. And when we got permission, what were you
1: trying to do there?
2: Well, we would have liked to build apartments, but the zoning said we had to build uh, commercial So we got permission for a hotel and basically when we analysed it, we had to uh, design it within the regulations, and then when we costed it, it's not going to be financially viable to build. And that's after ten years. And the same can be said of rural Ireland. I was in Connemara at the weekend, and I spoke to somebody who who tells me that they have a real problem in rural Ireland because uh, people are coming from Dublin, buying up houses, outbidding the local people, and there's no places for rent. And you know, there's so much land available, and and you know, why in the name of God can they not build houses in their local community? and live in their local communities.
1: Well, I think I think like if, if the people have a proven connection to the area, they have a much better
2: chance of being able to a build something. Chance, there, but, they? You know, it's a house then that if they get a job elsewhere, they can't sell because there's a seven year rule and so on. So it doesn't have the same value if they build it. So there's a there's a real problem for the young people of Ireland in getting it's not just social housing. It's people in careers that can't afford to buy a house. Um, somebody told me the other day that they're going to move from the job they have with us somewhere between Waterford and Wexford so that they can afford to buy a house and they they'll have to change career completely in order to be able to work down there because there isn't the same career opportunity and that doesn't make any sense and where are
1: they working with you at the moment they're just
2: working in 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 the hotel industry at the moment you
1: in what area just I mean, uh, so geographically, where are they?
2: In the Wicklow, North Wicklow area. So, so they're, they're not,
1: not even Dublin. The, 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 no, the, no the,
2: Dublin. Five hundred thousand minimum price in Dublin. Four hundred thousand in Bray, and down. You go down to the very rural area, and you can buy a house for two hundred thousand. But you can't have a job to suit your career. Yeah. Okay. So, so the
1: so-called commuter belt now is also absolutely out yeah, completely. And
2: that's for people, people who can even afford to buy a house. There's lots of them that can't afford to come up with the deposit for a house. So housing creates an awful lot of problems. Because because as a result, we have a lot of um, shortages of people to work for us in the belt, as you describe it. And uh, even if you pay a higher salary, they can't, still can't afford rents and they still can't afford to buy.
1: And I've heard of some people in, in the hospitality business, if you want to bring in people from abroad to work for you, you basically have to find somewhere where for them to live or yeah. find a room somewhere. Well,
2: well I have built Ireland, staff so accommodation. You've built yes, it. I have, yes, in order... To uh, be able to fill jobs, if I didn't have staff accommodation, I definitely wouldn't have enough people to run my business, and that's a real problem. Uh, so you're tying up money that you might reinvest into the business that you put into staff accommodation in order to be sure that you have people to work the shifts. So so it's all it's a a circle of issues that uh, has knock on effects to business, and uh, you know you have to pay people more to be able to pay the higher rent. Uh, so therefore, that's a higher cost, and then you have to pass that on to the
1: yeah. customer. Yeah, and look, the the story that um, Kira, Carl, and Gary, you all picked it is that story on the front page of the Business Post, which is along the lines of what Lorraine is saying: housing crisis risks economic growth, warns business leader. Um, Kira, do you want to tell us what that story is about?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the paper did an interview with Michael McAteer. He's the managing director of Grant Thornton. And he essentially said that up to 30% of international recruits that are being offered a job in Grant Thornton are turning it down due to the housing shortage. Um, Obviously, he's saying that this is going to have and it's going to affect the economic growth. And he also pointed about... um, The paper pointed about uh, the top 10 accountancy firms are also struggling to attract staff because of high rents in Dublin. And I suppose we saw the rental report that was out uh, this week, which showed um, for Q3 of this year, there was a 13.7 increase on rents in comparison to the same period last year. And touching on a point that Lorraine said, albeit it's about rent, um, we always hear about the Cork and Dublin, but in Waterford alone, uh, the same period, the Q3 of this year in comparison to last year, The rents in Watford shot up by 20%. Average rent is €1,432. So we're now at a stage where uh, we probably all know this, but when you have the likes of um, a managing partner, Grant Thornton, coming out to tell the government the lack of supply the rent crisis is now having an impact on um, potential investment in Ireland and uh, the people that are working here too yeah. sounding a major alarm bells.
1: Yeah, I think there's a new phenomenon as well of a lot of the people in the tech companies who were basically being, being uh, put up or being helped to find places in town mm-hmm. are now suddenly being told they have to go and live on the outskirts of the city. I've met a few of them who aren't happy about it at all. Text here, I have an offer for a job in Dublin, 80k a year. I should be over the moon. Instead, I'm struggling to find somewhere to rent, let alone for it to be under 50 plus percent of my net pay. That's not a tiny studio or a house share. I didn't work this hard in my career to end up in a rent trap, sleep next to the cooker. Just as the Sunday Business Post reported, I told the recruiter it's the employer's issue, not mine, that they're based in Dublin, still a tight labour market uh, globally.
3: Uh, Carl, you picked this story as well. Yeah, I would just say to, you know, I empathize with the person who texted in there to begin with, Uh, you know, taxes are too high, which means your net pay is perhaps too low. Rents are too high, which means your ability to afford it with that lower net pay also falls out of kilter. And it's a super frustrating situation. The, The issues that we're experiencing, though, they go back to, again, this host of policy failures, which I spoke about earlier. Where you do something to fix it, and then you have to do something to fix the fix, to fix the fix, to fix, and then it's basically fixed to the power of 10. So we started off with rent pressure zones a few years ago, and everyone said, that's a good idea. Except that they weren't, because what it meant was you were protecting incumbent renters, while new renters then paid a higher rate as they enter the same market. Now, you've also got this situation where they're saying, oh, you've got to give people longer rights to stay in a property if you want to sell. And then that affects people looking to buy a house. It affects the stock of people who want to rent to people given these increased levels of tenure. I saw a case during the week. Can I mention my Twitter feed? It's, it's on there. I, I, I showed a, uh, a person who was paying an interest rate of 7.75% on a rental property uh, where they're effectively an accidental landlord um, okay, and their loan is
1: now with uh, a non-bank. Yeah, lender, and they, uh, their,
3: their mortgage is 1700 but the rent is artificially held at 1200 while a house next door gets you know, over 2000 And whatever you say about the rents being too high, the banks being wrong, when you're in that situation, you say to yourself, wow, should I continue to subsidize a loss on a property that now the prices aren't rising the way they were, I probably should get out of, and I have to give, you know, half a year's notice before I can even attempt to sell the place. And the answer is yes. You okay. run for the so, hills. So
1: there's no intended
4: consequences. Well, this I is what I'm trying to say. is These knock-on effects. Okay. And okay. we,
3: we, we fail to correct for them mm-hmm. And we fail to acknowledge
4: them, so we can't even then go back and cry Guy for them. Guy, briefly, I know. Well, I wrote about this in the there. Sunday Times myself today, where the idea of we have 40, we have 36 ministers going to uh, 44 countries, I think, to celebrate Saint Patrick's Day, talking about Ireland being this tremendous place to invest in and to study in. And you know, as an educator, it is. Uh, but the reality is, unless we can do something about the the housing crisis, these people will have nowhere uh, to live in, or if they they will be priced out of the uh, out of the market, as we uh, as we just discussed. Well, you know what? Now that
1: be businesses on the case and worried about it. I wonder if things start changing a bit a bit faster. Uh no, uh, I hadn't intended to get um to get into housing there, but yet again we failed to solve it. But hopefully true uh, but it's the number a one of, issue bit with a bit state. Of new light on oh, it, it, yeah. it's no it's
4: no reason. Uh but uh. we
1: we have another old chestnut of an issue um back on our plates as well at the moment. And of course Boris Johnson has warned that uh D- dropping the Northern Ireland protocol bill would be a great mistake uh, as British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak this weekend meeting EU leaders to agree, uh, we hope, a new deal on the protocol. So let's talk to Suzanne Lynch, who's Chief Brussels Correspondent at Politico, to find out what's been going on over the weekend. Good morning, Suzanne.
5: Good morning, Brendan.
1: So tell who who was talking to who yesterday and was <coughs> there anything uh, important came out of all that before we get to Boris Johnson's intervention?
5: Yeah, well, all the action was in Munich uh, yesterday. The the Munich Security Conference is going on there. And Rishi Sunak had a meeting with Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission. He also met the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. But significantly in a statement that came out after that meeting, there was no mention of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. It was all about what they discussed uh, in relation to Ukraine. But um, that meeting between von der Leyen and Sunak is significant. It's the first time they've met face-to-face and had this discussion, although they did both say they also discussed Ukraine. Um, But uh, it's uh, the latest signal that something is in the works here, and in the next 48 hours, there's a possibility that a final deal could be done on the Northern Ireland Protocol. In saying that, the language from Sunak going down to Munich was a little bit more cautious than what we heard already, saying a deal hadn't been done yet. Um, The von der Leyen statement was was pretty positive, uh, saying, you know, negotiations are continuing and a positive atmosphere. Do you think, Suzanne, is a lot of
1: of of this... Sorry to interrupt you. Is a lot of this choreography like did Sunak have to kind of start getting being a bit more kind of maybe downbeat and cautious about it as if he's, you know, not running into the arms of Europe too much with 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 he's got the ERG over one shoulder and the DUP over the other shoulder. So is, it, is are we going to see a lot of choreography and and show acting yeah. over the next few days?
5: It's very true. I mean, it could be a negotiation tactic to say to the EU, oh, it's not done yet. You know, we're we're not we're not ready to sign on the dotted line. So it could be a bit of this. We obviously have seen this uh, intervention this morning um, by Boris Johnson. But um, I mean, it, it, it is important to say that this is significant that they're meeting at this level. And what was very significant was on Friday here in Brussels, all EU ambassadors who represent all of the 27 countries were summoned to a meeting. Uh, about this and Maro Sefcovic who's been the commissioner in charge running the Brexit negotiations he debriefed them and someone said to me an official afterwards a source said really this was about kind of getting them ready uh, in the event that there's a deal making sure everyone's on the same page and really this afternoon now in Brussels people are by their phones some of those, those ambassadors been told they could be called to another meeting um, last minute now this could also happen tomorrow Monday Monday evening um, but there is a sense that they're kind of getting ready here to be able to give the final a green light if this does get over the line in London. And, and if Sunak does push ahead on Tuesday and present this deal to, to his cabinet.
1: OK, is, is, is Boris Johnson's intervention here significant?
5: I think it is significant in the sense that um, it, it's not surprising and um, this kind of backstreet driving uh, tactic by Johnson. But it it gets the heart of the issue for Sunak, which is he has to keep the the Eurosceptic wing of his party on board. And really, even at this meeting in Brussels, this is what I heard people were saying, that really it comes down to what's happening in London. The EU is ready to give this the green light. And really, it's now up to Sunak. Is he prepared to face down sceptics in his own party? Is he prepared to, quote unquote, do the right thing and try and get this deal finished once and for all and get power sharing back? Um, and, and accept that there could be some kind of rebellion by his own party. And that's really, you know, it's his decision, ultimately. Okay. Uh, so in that sense, I think they are watching closely, um, Johnson's intervention here, how that might impact and whether it's going to ahead.
1: The worry is that Johnson and Rees mogg and the likes of them are whipping up the DUP as well.
5: Yeah, and the ERG group, that's that kind of wing of the, of the party, have said uh, publicly that they are going to be with the DUP on this, with unionism on this. Um, so, yeah, so, so the, the point, like the problem for Sunak, will he be weakened politically if he does get this deal over the line or not? And he has a choice, I suppose, to make on that. Um, but I don't think the EU, I mean, the, the, the messaging we get, we're getting here is that on the European Court of Justice, the role of the ECJ, that's become a huge issue mm. uh, for the unionist community. That the, uh, the Sefcovic told ambassadors during the meeting on Friday here that, you know, the EU position on that hasn't changed. However, it's going to be, you know, there could be some kind of a fudge here that you put in extra layers before anything would get to the ECJ. So it's a court of you
1: last resort, effectively. Exactly. That, that, yeah. and, and it's okay. about
5: the presenting that. And that looks like where the, 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 the last bit of the conversation is going so, to happen.
1: So, Suzanne, if you're a betting woman, what's going to happen? Will we see a deal early next week?
5: Oh, I'm I'm, 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 I'm clever enough now at this stage, Brendan, now not to be making predictions. But, uh, yeah, I think Sunak at this stage it's going to be very hard for him to come down the mountain on this. After saying he was going, you know, briefing that this is going to happen, that he's going to present it to Cabinet on Tuesday, you know, he's going to look weak if he doesn't. Okay. So uh, I, I think from that point of view, I think this will go ahead as planned and, there, and we will have some kind of a proposal on the table on Tuesday. But maybe I'll be proved wrong on that.
1: <laughs> OK, Suzanne Lynch, Chief Brussels Correspondent with Politico. Thank you. Um Gary, Sunak kind of sees himself as a technocrat, non-ideological problem solver kind of guy, doesn't he? So, like, he, he you can see he's thinking, OK, th- this is a thing I can fix here. We keep calm heads and we just do it.
4: Yes, I, I mean, he does have some ideology. In one way, he's a classic Tory and b- believing in a small state and lower taxes for people and uh, you know, cuts to social services. I, I don't think he'd be... He'd be yeah, baseline that. ideology, but, but, he is, but not the kind yeah, of but, but stuff. No, we'll no, but he, he is a technocrat, uh, I think, at... Uh, Uh, At heart, and and I think he somewhat would feel somewhat uncomfortable about the protocol because, uh, as we know, like what the protocol does is it allows for the the UK to basically uh, to break the rules or to empower the UK to unilaterally, yeah, dismiss or or ignore parts of the uh, uh, of of the deal. Um, The the, the, the Sunday Times today, Tip Shipman talks about Johnson. The the view from the Sun campus Johnson is simply making mischief and he's being a nuisance. And I think we've all know we've discussed it on this program and lots of others. Johnson doesn't really t- care terribly much I think uh, about Northern Ireland and this is an, it's simply an excuse and the DUP have been betrayed by Johnson before so the idea that uh, of Johnson reaching out to them to say stay with the course seems to me uh, you know a bit uh, a bit over the top to put it mildly and they yeah. would want to show a bit more political and uh, noise from Jeff- the call for yeah, Well yeah, yeah the, and, and but the noises from Jeffrey Donaldson during the week war were certainly better uh, uh, in relation to a deal being done and I do think the DUP uh, um, you know, this has been going on now oh, since 2016 and Donaldson's a pragmatist at heart. He's a, heart. a, he's he, a bit he, like... He's just going to need to bring people yeah, with him. Yeah, because there is a part and, you know, Suzanne mentioned the, the European Research Group. Like, there is a part that will oppose Sunak on, on literally everything. The sort of uh, Suella Braverman wing of the party, I suppose. Um, you know, what wants to reject all sort of EU uh, uh, treaties. So, uh, in that context, I, I do think that Donaldson might be able to bring enough people with him because you will always have, it seems to me, uh, a certain part of the DUP which won't want any Anything to do with uh, uh, with uh, with the EU and with any deals and uh, and you know and okay. so that's where we stand. I, I tend to think it's, it's hard to
1: think that we might have moved to a new phase where a lot of a lot of political parties around the place having got, got in bed with the extreme sides of it and we saw it in America as well that we might be moving on from always
4: appeasing those
1: extremes. Might, okay. and we might
4: be moving back towards a kind of a technocratic centre. It mightn't be the, most, the sexiest thing but it might be the best.
1: Boring, boring, com- dull competence. OK, <laughs> Kira feeling, and Lorraine Sweeney, Gary Murphy and Carl Dieter staying with us. We'll take a break.
0: Brendan O'Connor on RTE
2: Radio 1 sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins inspired by Scandinavia built for Ireland timberliving.ie Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.
1: Welcome back here, Feelin, Lorraine Sweeney Gary Murphy and Kyle Dieter still with us Here's an interesting text Many people who are told they can't afford to buy a house are paying ferocious rents often costing more than a mortgage It feels like a scam against the young You could imagine how y- young people might feel that if they're paying out enough for what would be plenty for a mortgage but they don't have a house um, What happened to the idea of reducing costs said another text, e.g. reduce the building and rental costs in Ireland We seem to do our best to inflate costs I don't know if anyone is trying to do it. There are worldwide factors there, but certainly the government is getting a lot of money out of every uh, new house that's built. Now, uh, Lorraine, mm-hmm. um, you picked the story about the um, kind of, I guess, pro-diversity, pro-immigrant um, protests yesterday. There's a piece in the Sunday Independent. The has a nice spread on it. But can I ask you, because you actually are, are in a particular situation here now. Uh, so you have, um, you are accommodating uh, Ukrainians are mm-hmm. people seeking uh, seeking uh, asylum here, or both. both? Both. Yeah. Okay. And what is the what is the picture there at the moment? So there's a lot again across the papers today. For starters, that a lot of hotels are are not going to renew the contracts. In, well, one in, of the, the reasons they
2: won't renew the contracts is because there's forty million euro. Before we owned. get to the money okay. going, okay. okay.
1: Are people going to want to get back to tourism yes. as well? Like, are we facing a tsunami of of People would know where to go.
2: We very well could be, and I read in today's paper that forty thousand more Ukrainians will come this year. Uh, given that we already have seventy something thousand, the government is uh, hosting forty something thousand in hotels. And yes, we never expected that it was going to last this long. No,
1: you thought we will have full occupancy for the winter and at, no, at an okayish rate. Well, and now, I'm sure that was great. For, well, be very hotels, fair to no hoteliers. They to get signed back to the up. They
2: signed up at the start of last season. Yeah,
1: okay. and they
2: thought that it might last a few months and it has lasted a year and yes it was good to have it during the winter but now there's a shortage in the whole country of of bedrooms and rates particularly in the east coast will be very high during the summer and it will be negative business for to do business with the ukrainians during the summer um negative negative in terms of you could get a higher rate if you're you know a hotel in dublin and you'll get more income from that
1: okay Um, how much are you owed by the government then
2: Um, I don't want to give an exact figure, but I'm owed a substantial six-figure sum. And um, you can only deal with them by email, and you email in October and in November and in December and in January and in February, and you don't get any replies, and you can't pick up the phone and talk to anybody
1: and no i think they have brought in more staff into well, it. well they they're,
2: they're talking about there. hiring more staff but quite honestly brendan um if this was a business operation you wouldn't be bringing in new hires to solve a very serious problem you'd be ringing a big firm of accountants and say send me in 50 experienced people and let's get this sol- problem solved very quickly and i just Were want to, you told
1: you be paid monthly
2: Oh, yes. It's a monthly contract. So just in the last week, since this has come to attention, I have looked up the European Directive on Late Payments. And I am convinced that uh, the government has yet another problem on its hands now because they have to pay us interest on the outstanding monies. Um, So much Uh, uh, at the commercial rates. So over 30 days, they will have to pay us Interest at the going rate. So, would we get five percent or would we get eight percent? But that's not the huge problem. The huge okay. problem the is the accounting. Said they,
1: have the government said they will pay? Uh,
2: as I understand it, they have accepted it. But this was only brought to their attention on Friday. So, we'll follow okay. this through this and week.
1: We've, we've been trying to contact them there. So, yes. we, we might. So, okay. they they will so have an either going to be bigger interest as well. Yeah, right? they'll
2: have an either b- a bigger accounting problem because they're going to have to go back through all the invoices over the last year and, wh- and ever in any situation where they were late, they're going to have to. Uh, backdate the payments and pay us interest
1: on... on Are people, are hoteliers also getting reluctant uh, to have people in their hotels as the temperature on this has gone up in communities? Are there problems with... um, you know, the hotel becoming a lightning rod for protests
2: and stuff like that. Personally, I think the, these demonstrations have only started since the Ukrainians came to Ireland, and they're just the people who are organising these demonstrations are effectively taking a hot potato. They're doing a little bit like what Donald Trump did in America. They're 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 finding people that want to protest and they're encouraging them to protest. And to be honest, the vast majority of people, as we saw in yesterday's demonstration in Dublin, um, very genuine. People want diversity in Ireland, and we're going to need diversity in Ireland in the future. And it, it's just a right wing element that's inciting hatred. And
1: what's it like for the uh, Ukrainians and refugees who are in a facility when there is this kind of stuff going on o- outside?
2: Well, I haven't known of any uh, demonstrations against Ukrainians. That's the bad yeah, part okay. of these demonstrations. Um, the Ukrainians are now some of them. Uh, I have nearly a year. They're a year living in a hotel bedroom, and a hotel bedroom is no place for a family to be mm. raised. Um, we make them as happy as possible. They get really nice food. We consult them when we change the menus. Um, we we organise English classes. We've had yoga classes. So to the best are of they
1: bu- are they busy? Are they kept very busy? busy? They? Yeah, yeah very they, busy. Yeah. If
2: you're in a good area right an area where you can walk to work or you can walk your kids to school they keep themselves very busy and they do want to work now i do believe the government gave them too much money in in the social welfare payment when they came and uh consequently they hate to lose that social welfare payment if they get a job okay they felt they were going to get that money
1: so so that is is that okay we'll be very careful here now that is more money than they would have expected to be getting is it
2: Well, it's much more money than you get elsewhere in Europe. And this is one of our problems, that Ireland is attracting people to migrate from. Estonia, where you might get 50 euro, you'll get 206 in Ireland. And there has been a little bit of economic migration from people who, first of all, went to an Eastern European country and then their relatives were here in Ireland. And a pensioner in Ireland gets 254 euro a week. And in um, Ukraine, they got 50 euro a week. OK,
1: and look, you are not making any judgments on people here. We're not suggesting <laughs> that this is the widespread problem. you're oh, talking You're at the cold face of this and you're expecting... Experiencing yeah. these things in a and observing. So that, is, that are, is an aspect of
2: this. It's just a small aspect of it. I mean, genuinely, the, the Ukrainians, we welcome them with open arms in the hotels. Um, it's not about giving them a bed and board. It's about their welfare aspects. And they have many stresses. And many hoteliers are doing an awful lot outside the call of duty to take care of the Ukrainians. And, and I think they're generally felt very welcome in society. People are looking after them very well.
1: Okay, Kiri, you picked the this story about yesterday's march as well.
2: Yeah,
0: just to, to touch on actually um, Lorraine's point, just regarding the back payment, the backlog, I understand that before Christmas there was only four uh, officials in the Department of Integration working on invoices. Uh, so you can imagine how busy they must be with only four. That increased to 20 at Christmas, but I believe it's reduced now again. So that's why there's um, a significant delay with paying hotels. Um, In relation to the march yesterday, I think that It was brilliant to see. It completely drowns out, uh, hopefully drowns out the small minority of the far right uh, that are exploiting some people's concerns and concerns that they have, which need to be listened to by the government. Um, But essentially, I thought yesterday kind of sent a message that Ireland is welcoming uh, refugees and that the majority of people in Ireland want them here and need them here.
1: Yeah. Equally now, we would have to say that Gary the polls, the number of people who are kind of saying that we maybe can't take any more people at the moment is rising all the time in opinion polls and, and it just is. opinion polls. But
4: it is, yeah. There was an interesting piece by Larkin Nyhan in the Sunday Indo about uh, we need more immigrants uh, be- to uh, because of our, our ageing uh, national or local uh, population, which is, I think, worth reading very well uh, uh, well-constructed and uh, and uh, put together. The problem with the late payments, I, I think, goes to the heart of the... Sometimes the state hasn't joined up thinking. I mean, we have the department and Roger Gorman ta- appealing to people and appealing to, uh, to those in the hospitality industry uh, and normal people in in, in terms of uh, taking in uh, uh, refugees. Uh, and on the other side, then you can't get paid. Um, and this is this is a problem with the state for, for, for years, for decades even, that lack of sort of joined up thinking uh, amongst the, uh, the various myriad Arms uh, of the state. I would say, uh, and be, I, I've I've thought about this quite a, quite a lot. The elements for, for the emergence of a far right party certainly um, are, are, is on the bubble of existing, and this is usually about social dislocation, economic disadvantage, and disenchantment. People feel they're not being represented. But nevertheless, the all the main political parties in the state uh, have shown. I think. Good and solidarity in relation to the idea of welcoming uh, refugees, and we know um, from history that when we've had, um, you know, what we might call extreme right-wing parties running for office in the state, going back to the 1930s and 40s, they have, you know, had infinitesimal support. Yeah, but we know we also know that that can change. That can change very very quickly. quickly. So uh, there's no need. There's no. uh, there's certainly uh, no uh, no need for complacency on this brand. Okay, before I go back to Lorraine, Carl, you're the only immigrant here.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, immigrant. I came here from the USA, and uh, yeah, I actually have I've actually been to two of the I guess what is billed as anti-immigration protests, but inadvertently. Uh, I work in the north inner city and the south inner city and twice when I was driving home I was stopped by the protest because they crossed the street in front of me. And, and, and I was stopped
4: at Belly one on Thursday night getting home from DCU. It's been quite a large protest. Uh,
3: so I get out and talk to people. Um, I want to see what they're like. And I addressed, my opening line was, so I hear you're the far right racist. What's the story? Um, it's probably not the best way to start a conversation in retrospect, but I you know, bait people a bit, see what comes out of it. Uh, what I found, actually, though, is is I don't believe that it is uh, the majority of the people at it are anti-immigrant or racist. I spoke to an immigrant at the thing. I've spoken to uh, lots of mothers with children, um, and, and there does seem to be a very big gender issue here, and the gender issue is against men. Uh, they don't want, you know, 200 men showing up into, into one place altogether. And I think if there's 200 women and children showing up in one place altogether, that needs to be mentioned because this is why it becomes a hot topic issue. But they feel really disowned by the nation because they say, look, if we show any concern, we go through a a kind of a trifecta of accusations. We're anti-immigrant. And if you're not anti-immigrant, immigrant, then you're uh, racist. And if you're not a racist, well, then you're far right. And we just go through this name-calling litany of accusations in order to make ourselves feel good about ourselves collectively without actually realizing the issue is about delivery. So it's about delivery of housing. It's about delivery of health. It's about delivery of education, about these key things that you know anyone in this studio probably doesn't have to worry too much about. Uh, but when you're more towards the bottom of the spectrum uh, financially, when healthcare is directed elsewhere to help new people, do you feel that takes from you? When, it, 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 when people are being housed and you've been on a housing waiting list for 15 years, that affects you yeah, profoundly. Yeah, even if you're
1: being told that this is a different system and yeah. that it's not fair. And, it, and it's a
3: system that it. no one themselves would want to go into. But let's just be really clear it is not racist to care about your kids. And if you have a situation where you've got grown men, in some cases, I was told, they'd be fighting on the street, standing around, your your young daughter's walking past them, and you have a concern. Okay, no, but I, that I, is a yeah, valid yeah, fear. Yeah, it doesn't okay, mean it, it's justified. It,
1: it is a valid fear, yes. And it but it's mean valid. It, it doesn't mean it's justified. And, yeah. and we know that it is being fed with a lot of tropes and misinformation yeah, but,
3: and stuff that just But the, isn't the, the labeling, the idea that you can go out and say, let's have a, a rally to say that you're all, you know, these various things, you're you're racist, you're far right, and then return to the leafy suburbia feeling great about yourself. I mean... The okay. In, well, the internal lies yeah, that we, a person okay, has to well, tell themselves to we don't feel good know, about
1: We that. don't know that the people there yesterday were all from the leafy suburbs. There have been a lot of people as well in the communities that are being affected by this who have been out saying this is not in our name, we yeah. welcome these people as well. Yeah. So let's just not... Let's clearly have, let's all, well, well, well Bren, Brennan, if, if you were Lorraine, to, Lorraine, you want to come back yeah, in there? Yeah, I
2: think I have a few interesting points to make. First of all, when the government changed three years ago... Um, international protection moved from the Department of Justice to the Department of Children. So for the last three years, it's been completely new to the Department of Children, and if you think about it, immigration and justice have something got to do with international protection coming in. So there, 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 was a link there, and that link was broken when the Green Party came in and they gave them whether it be a hot potato or whatever you call it, they gave them international protection. Now it has quadrupled and whatever it is, it's gone up phenomenally. Yeah, I
1: think nobody thought so. W- I think what it was going to be at the that minister that for
2: children is doing his best, but he's not coping. And what I would suggest is that international protection applicants should go back to the Department of Justice and that the Minister for Children should deal with Ukrainian refugees because they're two distinct different... procedures that they have to go through and okay. different payment it's not levels not that he's
4: not coping he's just got enormous enormous workload and he, in one I, I, way he, I would so say in he's in not way getting he's the support so what from, you would do in from a his is, colleagues exactly. so
2: what you would do in a business is you you'd sit down and reassign and I think that's what they should think about doing the other thing is that the allocation of men separately is a recent phenomenon of the of the contracting to house people is that they've separated out men and that's why in the last six months you see 200 men going into a hotel in a certain town and that is what's triggered, I think, some of the main issues. Um, okay, there, I, I just, I'm going to planning. read a text from
1: Rory. It's not okay to be anti-male like that and have prejudice just because it's men. should not be validated. No assumptions should be made on people needing refuge, period.
3: Very, very high ideal and very correct. Also, in practical terms, Mm-hmm. something that doesn't, when you look at the real world, fit with people's day-to-day concerns. I mean, we, we, our population has changed by, you know, over 1% because of a war in another nation, and we're doing our best, and I think that's vital. I, I, I say that as an immigrant. We have to do our best, mm-hmm. but we've got to get better at the messaging. We've got to get better at assuring that you you deliver and and not only that the the constant thing that they're always delivered to you know the rough areas is a fair you've had a fairly good
1: yeah yeah, yeah, but like have they tried to (laughs) put emigrants into the other areas I haven't heard of any high profile court cases or massive protests in the leafy suburbs where they tried to put in emigrants and people objected
3: have you heard of them going in and you know hundreds at a time in in any of said leafy suburbs? But this
1: is what I'm saying. But we I haven't heard anything about any attempt to put them in.
3: It, maybe they just don't want the high court injunction, Brendan. I don't know. But but the but the the fact is. You know, we're not going to solve this by approaching it like the three wise monkeys of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. There are really difficult conversations that have to be had. Yeah. And I think we need to start having them without the name calling of far right, far left, Can extremist, I mean, racist, I mean, and One point. more point. point yeah.
2: uh, when I was rooting through the papers to pick out my subjects today, I was looking for a reference to the African Union meeting, which is taking place uh, in Africa today. It's 55 countries who meet once a year and the African population is going to grow from 1.2 billion to 2, 1.2 billion to 2 billion in the next 20 years, right? So we're looking at this in a very parochial fashion about the number who have arrived. This is like, there's, there's, going to be a huge population explosion in the developing world and we have little demonstrations going on about a small number of people coming in. There's going to be a huge movement of people in the future if we don't solve the problems of the developing world. And uh, climate change is causing a lot of the problems and then they have climate change as well as exponential growth in population. So this is only the tip of the iceberg to what's going to touch our lives in the future.
1: There's a bit of
4: perspective there, Lorraine. uh, very briefly. Well, very briefly, I think it's clear that there are people who have malevolent intent who are using these these so-called marches um, to uh, to forward an agenda of uh, you know that that clearly most decent people would reject.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, th- listen, b- before we take a break, there's an email from a listener here. Brendan, can you please correct a wholly inaccurate st- in stat- inaccurate statement made by one of your panelists earlier, who noted that it is next to impossible to get planning permission in Ireland. Local policy is followed. And competent professionals are engaged in the preparation of an application. It is regularly granted. OK, and we don't need any. I, I don't need to hear your thoughts back on that, Carl Dieter. We'll take a break here. Feeling, Lorraine Sweeney, Gary Murphy and Carl Dieter staying with us.
2: Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.
1: Back here at and Lorraine Sweeney, Gary Murphy and Carl are still with us. Listen, we only have about 30 seconds left. Um, Lorraine, are the hospitality industry resigned to the fact that the VAT is going back up?
2: Well, we'll never actually be resigned to it, but I actually think it is going to. And I think it's going to be very detrimental for businesses. And we will, apart from Czechoslovakia, then be the highest VAT rate in Europe for our sector and I think it's an absolute disgrace and I think there's, after the pandemic there's going to be huge problems in the industry if it does go back up.
1: Okay, and look, a lot of people would say that the hospitality industry has been well able to to uh, price itself anyway, and uh, and I don't think we we saw much of that. Well, time will tell. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Okay, that's actually all we have time for. So, thanks to my panel: Kira Feelin from the Irish Examiner, Lorraine Sweeney, businesswoman and hotelier, Gary Murphy, professor of politics at DCU School of Law, and Carl Dieter, director of Irish Mortgage Brokers, and now. Just coming up to 12 noon, we'll go to the newsroom and Helen Dunahoo.